Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. Nigeria battles to deal with the issue of the suspension of the Chief Justice by President Muhammadu Buhari. And human rights organizations in Tanzania call on their government to continue supporting people with albinism in their country. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Authorities in Cameroon have banned planned protest marches in the capital, Yaoundé, after a series of unauthorized anti-government demonstrations and some 200 arrests, including the detention of main opposition leader Maurice Kamtu, former government minister Kamtu, who claims to have been cheated out of the presidency in last year's elections, was, was arrested on Monday. His lawyer says he's under investigation for a alleged insurrection in a statement read out state radio at on state radio administrator Jean-Claude Stella said four planned marches scheduled for Friday and Saturday and next week are prohibited for the preservation of public order Ugandan authorities say they are planning to seek the extradition of six suspected Islamist extremists being held in Mozambique. The announcement came two days after Mozambican police said they had arrested three Ugandans, claiming they were senior figures in a radical Islamist organization behind attacks in the country's gas-rich northern Cabo Delgado province. Uganda does not have an extradition treaty with Mozambique. Mexico and Uruguay, two of the few Latin American governments that still recognize the incumbency of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro, have called for an international conference of neutral countries to start dialogue between the two sides. The United Nations Secretary General Spokesperson Stefan Dujeric has this to say on the matter. We're aware of the, uh, the initiative taken by Mexico and, uh, and Uruguay. Um, obviously, the international community can play a key role in facilitating inclusive agreements. Uh, we are awaiting some details uh, from both those parties. There is, I think there's a meeting in the pipeline in the next day or so with the Secretary General and the permanent representatives or other representatives of the Secretary. But we're, we're awaiting some, uh, some details of that. Dujaric has also confirmed the Secretary-General's response to a letter sent to him by opposition leader and self-proclaimed interim President Juan Guaido requesting increased humanitarian support from the world body. In response, Guterres indicated that any upscaling would have to happen with the consent of the Maduro administration, Dujaric explains. 
The Secretary General reiterated that he's, uh, what he's already said publicly in his letter, which is basically his concern regarding the crisis in the country and the impact that it is having with the Venezuelan people. He said the United Nations is ready to increase its activities in Venezuela in the areas of humanitarian assistance and development. However, he said that for this, the United Nations needs the consent and the cooperation of the government. Uh, the Secretary General again underscored that recognizing governments is not for the Secretariat and for member states, and he noted that his relations with member states, he respects decisions taken by, particularly by the General Assembly and the Security Council. And finally, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has been named the country's 2018 Newsmaker of the Year. National Press Club Chairperson Joss Chale says the decision to name Ramaphosa Newsmaker of the Year was due to the domination in the media of the Ramaphoria, New Dawn and Tumamina, which translates to Send Me Campaign after he became the fifth president of South Africa. Previous recipients include former presidents Jacob Zuma, Nelson Mandela, Tabumbeki and F.W. De Klerk, as well as actress Charlize Theron. Last year, Gupta Leaks were named Newsmaker of the Year and the recipient of the award was the Amabungane Center for Investigative Journalism. The annual Newsmaker Function of the Year will be held in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, later this year. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka. Since the suspension of the Chief Justice of Nigeria by President Muhammadu Buhari about a week ago, the matter has gone from the presidency to the judiciary across the People's Court and social media and back to the statutory court for proper interpretation and possible trial by a court of competent jurisdiction. The issues raised by the complainants when brought before the National Judicial Council went through a process which requested for an explanation from not only the Chief Justice himself, but also from the man whom the President appointed in an acting capacity. Collins Atohengbe reports that the court boycott directed by the Nigerian Bar Association was not totally observed by members. Reports generated by the case continue to receive a lot of concerns by professionals thus putting the executive in a defensive position over his action which has been described as a breach of constitution by almost all the lawyers who have had anything to say about the matter. As soon as it became clear that the issue has moved from the armchair general analysts to the court, lawyers began to interpret the various sections of the constitution which empowers the president to take such damning action after following due process. Constitutional lawyer Femi Fallon of the removal of the Chief Justice. He says not even a public officer can be removed by an expert motion, talk less of the Chief Justice of Nigeria. Let, let me be honest with you. No court, not even the Supreme, can order somebody occupying an office. I'm not talking of the Chief Justice now. Anybody occupying an office to vacate, expert because you have already determined his rights and obligations in his absence. You can ask for an injunction to say somebody should not assume office because somebody else is occupying the office. But you cannot on an ex-party basis remove somebody from office and then ask somebody to take his place. And that's why I have advised the lawyers to the chief justice have to approach either the Code of Conduct Tribunal or the Court of Appeal to challenge the 
legality of such an order. And if you look at the order, as I've described it, for me it's like a suspect document. According to that order, the lawyer that moved the motion is not stated. The motion party was filed on the 9th. We arrived, the charge itself was filed on the 11th. What has baffled the uninitiated is the observation made by Falano that the charge was filed after the motion expert had been issued for action. Is there any ambiguity in the constitutional provision on how to deal with the appointment and removal of the Chief Justice? Chief Mike Ozekome, a human rights and constitutional lawyer, says there is no provision that allows the President to hire or fire a Chief Justice. The powers of appointment and suspension of the Chief Justice of Nigeria are matters that are governed by the clear provisions of the Constitution and the third schedule, Section 21, Pass 1 and 2 of the 1999 Constitution. What do, what do they say? By way of summary, it is the NJC that nominates a person for appointment to the CJN. Then the Senate, by two-third majority vote, confirms that appointment. The president merely plays a nominal role of now swearing in that person. It is the same route you follow when you are dismissing. If this is true, what could have been the motive behind the president's action? Ikenga Ogochinyere of the Coalition of Political Parties says the move has a political agenda in it, preparing the ground for a favorable post-election ruling in the event of a loss. Onoge's illegal removal was just aimed at stopping the swearing of members of the 2019 General Election Petition Tribunal, who the ones to appoint pro-APC CJN to help use the judiciary to affirm APC candidates in the 2019 pre- and post-election litigation. The Nigerian Bar Association should immediately call out all lawyers. All courts must be shut now, as the president has no such powers to suspend him. Just before the hearing began, the former opposition party's presidential candidate, Atiku Abubakar, accused Buhari and the ruling APC of moves that could fit a dictatorial rule. I need to state that this latest action by General Muhammad Buhari falls squarely within the pattern of executive lawlessness that has now been firmly turned into statecraft by the APC government. The serial disregard of court orders and consequent violation of constitutionally guaranteed human rights of our citizens confirms beyond all doubt that General Buhari and his government would rather obey their own whims and operate by separate rules outside the well-established constitutional order and the rule of law. A former president of the Nigerian Bar Association, Olisa Agbakoba, says this breach of due process has now foiled the belief that there is a political motive in President Buhari's action. He's the head of a co-equal branch of government, so nobody can summon him to court except as prescribed by law. That's not to say that he may be guilty or not. That's not even the issue. Nigeria respects due process and the rule of law. Follow it. What's the problem? I was speaking to a senior government official in Abuja, and I was saying, so now you want to look for a soft landing. But why shoot yourselves in the foot? The necessary conclusion is it's about the election, because you see, the judiciary has given several diverse decisions that hasn't favored the APC. So is it that the government 
thinks that the judiciary is anti the APC. But these are the speculations now fueled by this idiotic action. The situation now is that the Court of Appeal has ruled that Onoge should defend himself before the Code of Conduct Bureau. But Ozehome says that is not the right procedure for removing a Chief Justice. If you are accusing Onoge, the CGN, for committing certain infraction, the legal maxim is always ignorance of the law is no excuse. But Section 3D, ironically, of the Code of Conduct Bureau and Code of Conduct Act, which was not a law made by Onoge, says where a person admits non-compliance with the issue of declaration of assets under this act, the matter shall end there he shall not be charged before the Code of Conduct Tribunal. It's not an who promulgated the law. And when you say you have forgotten, they say, this is another form. Declare it and swear it to an affidavit. There is a serious element of uneasy calm which has left no one in doubt that trouble is brewing from some quarters of this society. The case is pregnant with lots of meaning and possible outcome depending on which side of the divide one is on. But let me say that the truth will surface after the lawyers have put it to one another in a court of competent jurisdiction. For now, it's a waiting game. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohim before Channel Africa News. Cameroon has summoned French and German envoys to protest violence and vandalism during opposition demonstrations at the Central African nation's embassies in Paris and Berlin. Cameroon's communication minister and government spokesperson René Emmanuel said in a statement yesterday that the two European host governments failed to provide ample diplomatic and consular protection during the January 26 protests by backers of the Cameroon Renaissance movement in violation of international conventions. While the United Nations condemned the violence at the Cameroonian embassies, it also expressed concern about alleged use of force by security forces during demonstrations in Cameroon's port city of Douala in recent days and the arrest of the opposition leader Maurice Kamto. Muki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Cameroon summoned the French ambassador to protest that his country did not take enough measures to protect its embassy in Paris, as stated in the Vienna Convention on International Relations. Cameroon said a hundred protesters invaded the embassy in Paris, ransacking every document and state symbols on their way, and pulled down the picture of President Paul Bia replacing it with that of Maurice Camto, the man who claims he won the October 7 presidential election in Cameroon. Gilles Thibault, the French ambassador to Cameroon, says he has assured Cameroon that all those involved will face the law. Il y avait déjà des, des mesures particulières qui avaient été prises de renforcement. He says specific measures were already taken to reinforce security, but in that particular situation, supplementary security measures were needed, and they did just that. He says he must advise and hope that everyone be civilized in their behavior everywhere they are and that it is the intangible rule and people should behave well so that such scandalous events do not repeat themselves. The acting German ambassador to Cameroon, Lars Lehmann, was also summoned. He gives his country's position to the protest at the Cameroon embassy in Berlin. We strongly 
condemn these acts. These are criminal acts. The German judiciary will definitely prosecute those who are responsible. And we have also heightened security for the um, Cameroonian embassy in Berlin because this is our obligation according to the Vienna Convention. The Cameroonian embassy has made a list of all the damage and I'm sure they will inform the German government about the damage which has been done. We take this incident very, very serious. Cameroon is asking the foreign countries to extradite all of its citizens who took part in the protest. Lawyer Mojam Fombat of the Cameroon Bar Association says they may face death sentences according to Cameroon laws if they are brought back home. Article 102 of the Penal Code sanctions hostilities against the fatherland. Any citizen, any citizen taking part in hostility against the Republic shall be guilty of treason and punished with death. Article 114 of the Penal Code punishes revolution. Article 2 of the Law on Terrorism is to the effect that any person who causes by any way the proper function of any public service, partially or fully, shall be considered as a terrorist and is liable for prison sentence with the prison term going up to the death sentence. We should understand that an embassy is part of the home territory. So if you are in an embassy, a Cameroon embassy abroad, you are technically on Cameroon soil. The protests in and out of Cameroon were organized by the leader of the Cameroon Renaissance Movement, Maurice Camto, against what he calls an electoral hold-up by President Paul Biya, who has been in power for 36 years. Camto and nine of his party officials have been arrested and locked up in Yaoundé. Rights group Amnesty International has asked for their immediate release. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Juan Guaido, the man who declared himself president of Venezuela, says the opposition have been in talks with the military in their efforts to unseat the sitting president, Nicolas Maduro. At the same time, there have been continued street demonstrations from an impoverished and frustrated population. The BBC's Rulemo Olmo reports from Caracas. Arming themselves with only pants and whistles, they took to the streets. After years of shortages and suffering, anger has become normal for those who wish for change in Venezuela. The opposition leader, Juan Guaido, called on all Venezuelans to step out from workplaces and houses to show their outrage against Nicolás Maduro's government. In Petare, a popular area in East Caracas, I met Carla. She's one of the dozens who joined this small protest. It's important for people to be here to keep fighting for the government change. It's so that we can get a better future for our children. We need to keep up the fight. Carla invited me to visit her humble home in the top of Petare one of the largest shanty towns in Latin America. Thousands of people are packed in dingy hats all over this mountain of misery. Life is not easy here for anyone, especially for her, a working mother. Ha sido duro. Primordialmente, la alimentación. 
It's been really hard mainly because of the food shortages. Sometimes I don't have anything to feed my children. When I have something for them, it's only beans, and it's not possible to feed a child only beans every day. I don't have milk or sugar either. Getting a hold of the basics is just one of the daily challenges. Petare is also rife with crime and violence. She proudly shows me drawings made by her 14-year-old daughter. Carla says she fears for the young girl's safety every time she leaves for school. She introduces me to a neighbor who doesn't want to be identified. He says since the protest began last week, things have turned even worse. He told me of terrible accounts concerning violence committed by the authorities that occur in the middle of the night. His story was confirmed by others. They kicked down my door and pointed a gun at me. They searched the house and even flipped over the bed. He told me of one particular instance where local gangs opened fire at the police. They didn't want to lose their stronghold and a warlike battle broke up. When it was over, retribution came not only for criminals. The special forces took three bodies away in a van. The three people died because it was discovered that they once had a criminal record. But they're innocent. Many fear that Venezuela can be on the verge of a civil war. If that eventually happens, that war already has its first victims. That report by the BBC's Julemo Omo in Caracas. The managing director for Tanzania Advocacy Group, known as Under the Same Sun, that helps people with albinism, Bethasia Ladislas, has urged the government to continue supporting people with albinism in Tanzania by providing education and sensitizing the public on issues affecting their livelihood. Bethasia Ladislas said this in Dar es Salaam during the 10-year anniversary of the organization's existence in Tanzania. Our reporter Gabriel Zakaria has more. Early 2009, Tanzania's image was badly tarnished due to the perception that the plight of people with albinism is not taken very seriously by the authority. However, 10 years later, the story has slightly changed from worse to better. Ms. Bethasia Ladislaus is the managing director for Under the Same Sun, an advocacy organization supporting people with albinism in Tanzania. This, this 10 years celebration of Under the Same Sun services in Tanzania means a lot to the public and the people with albinism because, because we want to share the things that Under the Same Sun has been able to do in the 10 years, which is very interesting in two categories, one in advocacy, the public advocates and public awareness, public advocates and awareness, and again on education. So on education, this is meant to appreciate the support that we got from the stakeholders when we were formulating the education guideline, which has been approved by the government and is used to um, to guide people. And secondly, um, on education side, this means to recognize the contribution that under the census has done to the public at large and people with albinism education program. This is a scholarship program offered by under the census um, to provide to pay for school fees and school supplies and other needs. 
People with albinism merely suffer from a genetic pigmentation deficiency, which simply means that their hair, eyes and skin have little or no color. Tanzania is expected later this year to conduct local government elections, which may not be good news for people with albinism, as it is alleged that some politicians use their body parts for rituals, especially at such times. Ms. Ladislaus again. Uh, towards the election now, as you have asked, I would say um, if you look at the data, um, the statistical data on the number of people who were attacked and number of people who were killed during these 10 years, more killings and more attacks were happening towards the election years. And due to that experience, um, as we are heading towards the election, it brings more fear in terms of security. As you have heard, like in the past, in the last week, through various newspapers and through various media, that there were 10 people who were killed in Njombe, 10 children. This has brought more shock and more fear in terms of security to people with albinism because this year, the year of election. So something like that has brought more attention. And so this makes us to remind the government and ask the government to talk more about this issue, to announce more about those people who have bad intention that the police and the security is there to protect people. People with albinism believe that the 10 years anniversary of the organization has brought about a significant turn, not only to them, but also to the community at large, though more effort is still needed to end the killings. Maduho William is the lawyer of Under the Same Sun. Established. Now, one of the things now we are proud of within the 10 years is successfully awareness campaign among Tanzanians as what albinism is, the challenges facing and the way of mitigating them. Uh, secondly, is on the education uh, sector. We have more than 487 students being sponsored by the organization, full paid uh, from kindergarten to university, uh, degree level, master degree, finally PhD. Uh, now we have more than 46 students, graduates. Thirdly, on the um, employment sector. We have a number of graduates, grantees who are now uh, were sponsored by the organization, uh, finally got employed uh, with qualification, not by via vision of being persons of albinism. Uh, no, it's because of having uh, qualifications, required qualifications of the above um, mentioned employment. So now we're so proud of uh, these three things, advocacy, uh, education, and, 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 and lastly on the employment sector. While marking 10 years, under the same sun says, special attention is needed to children who come from poor families and are more likely to leave school out of fear during long walks or time spent alone. It is important for these children to be given support to stay in school and get the same education as others who do not have albinism. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Something odd seems to be happening in Japan. A growing number of its elderly citizens are going to prison. In fact, almost 20% of its prison population is now over 60. Compare that to the UK or US where just 6% are elderly and usually for historic crimes. So what's going on? Ed Butler has been to Fuchu Prison in Japan to investigate the old age crime wave.
I'm standing in the recreation yard. The sound behind me is uh, a group of new inmates. You can hear them there. They're being drilled. It's almost like a military boot camp. Several of these guys are clearly in their 60s and 70s. In fact, altogether, some 30% of Fuchu's prison population is now over 60. When they're not marching, some are singing. This is the rather unorthodox start to an education session aimed at stopping seniors from reoffending. It kicks off with a group of them crooning out a song. It's all about finding life's purpose. Some seem quite moved. Afterwards, I speak to a couple of the inmates. My name is Miko-san. I'm 72 years old. I stole food at a supermarket. That's why I'm here. I had been in a traffic accident and had to spend money on it, so I needed to save until my next payment came through. I first got into trouble when I retired and I lost the joy and fun of work and I looked for other things to do. If you come here several times, you get used to it and you don't find things so hard here. That sentiment is surprisingly common. Close to half of all of Japan's elderly jailbirds have been convicted multiple times, usually for shoplifting, and some don't even seem that bothered. <laughs> Take Toshio Takata. He's 69, small, a cheerful demeanor. He seems like a cuddly teddy bear of a man until you learn that his rap sheet includes threatening women with knives. It's one of a number of crimes, all committed in his old age, and all, he says, with a specific purpose in mind. I reached pension age and then I ran out of money. So it occurred to me, perhaps I could live for free if I lived in jail. So I took a bicycle and rode it to the police station and told the guy there, look, I took this. You stole a bicycle, you cycled to the police station and you asked them to arrest you? Yes. Another time, I went to a park and just threatened women a little with a knife. I wasn't intending to do any harm. I just tried to show the knife to them, hoping one of them would call the police. One did. As you become old in society, there is no place for you. And the care home costs so much money you can't afford it. So I think lots of people do like I do. It is true that the crime related to poverty among elderly is going up. And this may be due to more elderly left alone. There are much less elderly who are living with their children, and sometimes they do not have any means to support themselves. That's Aya Abe, a professor of social policy in Tokyo. She says the weak economy has driven many younger people away from their parents' homes in search of work. Also, there are new divorce laws in Japan that have made it easier for couples to split. It's fueled family division and a reduction in the retirement pot. The question should be, should the poverty problem of the elderly be neglected or should we do something about it, whether they commit a crime or not and are having a really hard time. So you need better social care solutions right. for elderly people? For the elderly poor people, definitely. 
In truth, the overall numbers of elderly crooks in Japan is still fairly low, just a few thousand in a country of 120 million. But while other crimes are on the wane, old age wrongdoing is rising and rising fast, as is the cost of incarcerating people. There's growing pressure on the authorities to find alternatives to prison. Yosemichi Hosokawa is an 85 year old former inmate who's now battling to go straight. When you go out in society and you have a family, it's good. But if you're all alone, you're responsible. You have to support yourself. In prison, though, it's so much easier. You don't have to worry about anything. Elderly former Japanese inmate Yosimichi Hosokawa ending that report by the BBC's Ed Butler. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Ugandan lawmaker and musician Bobby Wine has confirmed he's likely to challenge President Uweri Museveni when the next presidential polls are held. Cameroon has banned planned protest marches in the capital, Yaoundé, after a series of unauthorized anti-government demonstrations and some 200 arrests, including the detention of main opposition leader Maurice Kamtu. And at least 21 people are now reported to have died in the U.S. as millions of Americans continue to brave Arctic-like temperatures. Those are the stories making headlines. Global health experts have urged African countries to strengthen their routine immunization coverage. The experts made the call during the biannual Regional Immunization Technical Advisory Group meeting held recently in Brazzaville, Congo. They said over the past five years, immunization coverage in sub-Saharan Africa has stagnated at 72%, exposing populations to vaccine-preventable diseases and outbreaks. Dr. Fiona Atuhebwe is the Regional New Vaccines Introduction Medical Officer at the WHO. So in the African region, immunization has really made significant contribution to public health, including elimination, eradication and control of life-threatening diseases. And definitely we've seen uh, hospitalizations due to vaccine-preventable diseases drastically reducing due to the introduction of many new effective uh, vaccines. We've also seen a reduction in measles-related deaths, uh, declining up to 86% in between 2000-2014. And of course, now we're also at the brink of eradicating polio. However, optimizing the benefits of immunization by achieving high infertile coverage has come with several challenges. And the regional immunization coverage, though, has been raised from as low as 57% in 2000 to 76 percent in 2015 has remained below the expected target and of course work still and the most recent fast has stagnated at 72 percent. That's our biggest uh, concern so far, the stagnation. And which countries would you say uh, are of really great concern at the moment? 
of great concern are the, the large countries which have uh, difficulty uh, in accessibility, either due to geographical issues or insecurity, or even both. These are Nigeria, uh, we have uh, Niger, Chad, uh, South Sudan, and the Central African Republic. These are basically our biggest countries of concern. They have rebel, and of course DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. They have, these are countries with poor road networks. They are large countries with rebels, poor road networks, civil wars. What's behind the stagnation of immunization coverage in the region? What exactly can be uh, attributed to it? One of the biggest issues we have is the multiple developmental priorities within the region. Different countries have different priorities outside even health. So some countries have priorities in roads, agriculture, education, or even managing the civil wars. The priorities uh, define countries. And then we have also difficulties focusing immunization resources on specific law coverage geographic areas or target groups. Then we also have gaps in country ownership and political commitment for immunization. There's the heavy reliance and dependency on external donors. So we do not have that government and country ownership of these programs. Because if they invested more in their programs, then they would feel the pinch of having a low coverage. Then as always in Africa, our biggest problem is the inadequate human and financial resources, which is generally, we cannot say only immunization, it's a general problem in the health sector. But of course it has a ripple effect and affects immunization. Inadequate logistics capacity, which includes uh, weaknesses in vaccine management um, and in providing services for hard to reach populations. For us, our biggest priority is that last child, that last child in that deep village on top of a mountain somewhere or across the river somewhere. That's our biggest priority. However, countries end up not planning for this. Like I mentioned, every day is business as usual. We go to health facilities, vaccinate, go to the community, vaccinate, but only to accessible communities. And of course, we have the cost of of, uh, the new vaccine is high. So we have countries that are Gavi eligible, those that Gavi funds vaccines, most of part of their vaccination program, and we have the non-Gavi eligible ones, the middle-income countries. So with those, we we end up getting an issue, a problem with the affordability of the new vaccine. Mm. So a program starts and cannot be sustained. What are the consequences of children missing out on immunization? Why is it important that they must be immunized? So so the threat of death by disease isn't the only medical consequence of skipping vaccination because definitely, you know, when we started the immunization program many years ago, it was, we're talking about the six killer diseases, which reduces the quality of life of a child, time spent away from education, the productivity of the parents or caretakers, which ultimately affects the economy. And then with the sickness, we have government expenditure on a disease that would have been preventable. And then, of course, the out-of-pocket expenditure from the parents. This is Africa. We know how difficult it is. And then we end up with chronic sicknesses, for example, hepatitis B. Someone suffers for the rest of their life with an illness just because they didn't get vaccinated. Then also for children who, who miss out on vaccination are a risk to outbreak. They put everyone else's life at risk. 
And that's how we end up with these unending outbreaks. That's Dr. Fiona Atuhebwe, Regional New Vaccines Introduction Medical Officer at the World Health Organization, speaking to Komotomo Pulani. South Africa's social challenges will not be addressed by higher economic growth alone. This emerged during a panel discussion hosted by Southern Africa Towards Inclusive Economic Development, which is a research partnership. It includes government, the private sector and non-profit organizations to provide evidence-based research on policies to grow the economy and create jobs. According to Rudy Dix of the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation, the country must deal with several structural issues before any inclusive growth can take place. Tsepamungwai reports. South Africa has drafted a slew of policy proposals to address the country's high unemployment and widening inequality. But there's been very little progress to reverse the challenges. Unemployment has increased to just under 28% and poverty continues to affect most communities. Speakers at the event shared their thoughts on how government, business and labor can work together to reduce poverty. Rudy Dix of the Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation says discussions on economic growth should include wealth distribution. And I don't think we have gone into those difficult conversations. It's easy to talk about growth. Right? We can talk about growth and we can deal with them. But if we don't talk about growth and the inclusivity of growth, which is the more difficult conversation, we can continue to grow. And we'll continue to have an unemployment rate that hovers at 25%. Or the top 10% of households earning now 65% of national income. The bottom 50% of households continue to earn 5% of total national income. We can continue to that. So it requires for us to have the most difficult conversations and to sit down and to resolve. Because the assumption that growth in itself is going to resolve what Jocelyn talks about is not a correct assumption any longer. It doesn't hold. Dix was joined on stage by chairman of Anglo Gold Ashanti Sipopitiana. It is true that growth, there's nothing inevitable about growth resulting in creation of employment. But it is also true that without growth, there's no likelihood of jobs being created. So the focus on growth is absolutely important. Um, and, and, and the idea of inclusive growth is actually to remind us that we should we should have a particular bias to a growth agenda that creates jobs that uh, is more inclusive. The signing of the national minimum wage was raised as another bold step to reduce inequality in the country. Access to quality health care is another divide between rich and poor that South Africa is still grappling with. COSATU's president, Singi Swalosi, says the Labour Federation has proposed the use of tax rebate to help fund the national health insurance. Consciously ourselves as, as workers, we must work towards that realization by pushing that the tax rebates that we get from the medical aid must go to fund for the national health insurance. Because the reality is millions of South Africans who are employed cannot afford to have medical aids. Those that are not employed cannot afford quality health care. Now we're saying if we are to realize that we should agree at least in ensuring that what ordinarily comes back to us goes to that. Pichana has also warned about hidden unemployment in the public sector. He says rising debt levels in state-owned companies make it difficult to sustain the current job levels. Firstly, 
we are not talking sufficiently enough about hidden unemployment in the public sector. Mm. And that's, uh, the chickens are coming home to roost mm. on that. Mm. ESCOM, as an example, sits with excess labor of about 50%. It's not sustainable. If you go across other state-owned entities, that's what you are, are, going, are, are going to find. Excess employment in the public sector across the board. The problem that we're facing now is that the public sector debt is such that you can no longer sustain that. <coughs> the reality of the matter is that the social partners, we've got to rise to the occasion. There's no time for ideological posturing. If we don't deal with this ourselves, we're going to go running cap in hand to the IMF. And guess what? The things that we could otherwise do on our own today will be imposed on us by others. I am Tepo Mwai in Pretoria. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoku. Thanks, Nuru, and good morning. China's trade delegation and the U.S. say they've made important progress in their latest round of talks in December. The United States and China agreed to 90 days of negotiations in an effort to defuse their escalating trade war, which had led to new tariffs on billions of dollars worth of goods. At the end of the latest two-day meeting in Washington, China pledged to purchase an additional 5 million tons of U.S. soybeans. President Donald Trump has touted the promises evidence that the two sides are making progress. The relationship that we have right now with China has never been so advanced. I don't think it's ever been better, but I can tell you for a fact it's never been so advanced. And certainly a deal has never been so advanced because essentially we don't have a deal. We never had a trade deal. We're going to have a great trade deal. And, but we never really had a trade deal with China. And now we're going to have a great trade deal with China if it all works out. 
Civil society groups in South Africa are expected to stage a picket at National Energy Regulator Nurses' public hearings in the country's largest township, Soweto, on Friday. Nurses is holding nationwide hearings on what uh, power utility Eskom can charge consumers for electricity for the years ahead. Eskim announced last year that it had asked NERSA for a 15% electricity tariff increase per year for the three financial years. Labor Union NUMSA, the Soweto Action Committee and the Opposition DA are among organizations that will be picketing at the hearing, calling on NERSA to grant Eskim the proposed increase. NUMSA spokesperson Palamile Hlubi. In our submissions, we will be making it very clear that we reject any request for a tariff increase for ESCOM. We believe that a tariff increase would be disastrous, not only for the working class and the poor, but also for industry. Our economy just cannot afford an increase in the electricity price. This is a situation that has spiraled way out of control, and it's completely immoral that ESCOM should even be allowed to, to, to increase its tariffs at this time. The International Finance Corporation has signed two accords with the National Bank of Ethiopia to expand trade and local currency financing. The first agreement to support the National Bank of Ethiopia is part of the Global Trade Finance Program. According to a statement released at the signing ceremony, under the program, the International Finance Corporation will provide guarantees for trade-related payment obligation of selected Ethiopian banks. The Zambia National Marketeers Credit Association says a collection of base attacks from the marketeers has not started due to technical challenges. The Zambia Revenue Authority announced plans to introduce tax among the formal or rather informal sector including marketeers as a way of increasing the revenue base for the country. Zambia Revenue Authority appointed the National Marketeers Credit Association as a tax base collecting agent among marketeers. Now, the exercise, which was scheduled to commence about three months ago, has not started because Zambia Revenue Authority is sorting out the collective mechanism that will be used. Glovo, the leading on-demand delivery app, has launched its operations in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Founded in 2015 in Barcelona, Glovo expanded its operations to three continents, Europe, Africa and South America. The service is present in over 20 countries and more than 100 cities. Every month, around 3 million orders are being delivered through the app and an average delivery of 45 minutes. Users in Nairobi will access the city from the comfort of their home by being able to purchase any product and have it delivered instantaneously. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.48, Nigerian Nara, 10.16, Botswana Pula, 99.94, Kenyan Shilling, and at 11.89, Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.66 Brazilian roll, 65.39 Russian ruble, 70.86 Indian rupee, 6.71 Chinese yuan, and at 13.30 to the South African rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. At commodities markets, gold is trading at $1,318, platinum $818 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $60.92 a barrel. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine.
Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up, it's football news in our sports update. Ghana national government is said to pump an amount of 150,000 US dollars into Kumasi Asante's Kotoko's campaign in the CAF Confederations Cup competition. This follows Kotoko's qualification to the league stage of the competition, which they started with a walkover before accounting for Kariobangi Sharks from Kenya and Cotton Sport Garua of Cameroon. The package would have been raised to 200,000 US dollars if Kotoko were playing in the top tier CAF Champions League competition, which is reserved for league winners. Asante Kotoko traveled to play Al Hilal of Sudan on Sunday in the opening game of the Group C. And one of the youngest players ever to represent South African Premiership side, Giants Kaiser Chiefs at senior level, Wiseman Mayua's career has sadly been cut short as a result of injuries sustained in a car crash in November last year. The 19-year-old sustained various injuries, including an unstable fracture of his thoracic vertebra, spinal cord injury, and his wheelchair bound. Kaiser Chiefs football manager Bobby Mtawung says it is a sad end to a promising career. There has been a, an outcome of, of the result that the wise man may well be able to play football once more due to the accident that occurred in November the 3rd. It's been a long journey for us, sad one, but also a learning curve in terms of experience of life. And we brought Mewa in also to meet his farewell to his colleagues. Kaiser Chiefs team doctor Hashindra Ramji says due to the injuries sustained, he will not be able to play football ever again. He underwent surgical intervention and was in ICU for a while and every attempt was implemented to try and reduce the swelling on the spinal cord. He didn't progress very well in terms of, of recovery from that spinal cord injury. On to rugby news, South African rugby side Sharks lose forward Teram Tembu says they will be using their Curry Cup triumph from last year as motivation ahead of this year's Super Rugby season. The Sharks will play against the Lions in a preseason friendly at Cape Town Stadium on Sunday. And Mtembu is hopeful that the Deben franchise are still brimming with confidence from winning the domestic championship. On to cricket news. Cricket South Africa, CSA, has announced that they have renewed their partnership with sponsors New Balance for a further five years. The sponsor is the official apparel and footwear supplier to the CSA and the contract between the two parties will now run until 2023. Speaking at the official announcement at the Newlands Cricket Ground, CSA CEO Tabang Mure says he's delighted to extend this partnership and says it speaks volumes that a major global player wants to be part of the CSA setup for the foreseeable future. Today we're here to celebrate a momentous day for us as uh, Cricket South Africa, uh, where our partners New Balance have indicated you know, um, that they have been very happy with the partnership that we've had over the years and that uh, they would like to extend uh, the partnership uh, by another five years. So we are here basically to renew the partnership between us, uh, to take us uh, to the upcoming World Cup and obviously uh, to the next one, which will be in 2023. So we as Cricket South Africa are in a pretty good space in terms of uh, the partners that we have in New Balance. 
The company's vice president, Asian Pacific, Darren Tucker, says they are delighted to continue this relationship with Cricket South Africa. Yeah, just to reinforce to Bung's words, I mean, the partnership's been very beneficial from a New Balance point of view. It's certainly helped uh, grow the presence of our brand in in your great country. Um, I think when you talk about what's happening, not just the men's and women's game, but the way Cricket South Africa is actually investing in the community and and growing, I'd say, the awareness of the games through the community is very important to us. And the work that Corey's team does through the hubs and the product giveaways that we are enabled to sort of get to kids who maybe wouldn't get to play with the quality of product is very important to us. So that relationship or that um, initiative has very, been very important. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Nigeria battles to deal with the issue of the suspension of their chief justice by President Muhammadu Buhari. And human rights organizations in Tanzania call on their government to continue supporting people with albinism in their country. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week for myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Lebumuna Mukhulu. Technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Africa. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Joe Mafela with a track title, Shebeleza.
Hai, bati, shebele, sanjalo, 